0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. As he was singing that song, i reminded of something that happened the last couple of weeks here. We, we received a phone call probably two weeks ago, maybe a, maybe a little longer, from a lady whose brother was in the hospital and not doing well. And so we put him on our hospital list and began to visit him every day. Different pastor every day goes to the hospital. Deacons on the weekend. She was concerned about his salvation and so one of our younger pastors got the opportunity to share the gospel with him two times. Two times. Some of the other pastors filled in and talked to him about the Lord. And last Monday, he received Jesus as a Savior. Amen. And yesterday, he went to be with Jesus. And so, you never know when it may be the last day of somebody's life. And I'm so thankful. There's one more so... Into heaven, because you came to know Jesus. Well, you're welcome for listening in on my concert today. (laughs) First Timothy, where we are today, you're reading through the Bible. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. And the reason is because Paul is older now, much older, and he's writing to Timothy and Titus, but Timothy especially, who's been left behind in Ephesus to be the pastor of that church. And so Paul is giving him direction. Timothy was his son in the faith. Timothy was half Jewish and half Gentile, and Paul led him to Christ and and now is instructing him. And basically... 1 Timothy talks about church order and how to instruct how to conduct worship and and the officers of the church. Now there is a secondary note about living godly lives. Titus talks about proper conduct in the church and 2 Timothy talks about proper doctrine in the church. So the next couple of weeks we're going to see 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And, and I wanted you to know these three sort of go together. But today, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, is where I want to read. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age Not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal or abundant life. We're going to talk about a subject that you would like to talk about, except in church. Isn't it amazing how much we want to talk about money, but when you bring it up in church, it makes people mad. Well, this is not a message about giving, so just relax and breathe. But it is a message about your heart. It's, about, it's a message about who are you following. Some of my favorite quotes about money. This one's unknown. The author, money talks, but all mine ever says is goodbye. (laughs) I like this one too. It's true that money talks, but nowadays you can't hold on to it long enough to start a conversation. Josh Billings said, you should always live within your income even if you have to borrow money to do it. And Henny Youngman said, or Kenny Youngman maybe, said, I have all the money I'll ever need if I die by four o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) I feel like the guy who said, if I were to be robbed, the only thing they would get from me is experience. A lot of friction, family strife, anger, frustration are caused either directly or indirectly By money. And as a Christian cannot experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their life unless they surrender ownership of their life to Christ. The same is true in the area of finances. When you surrender total control of this area to God and accept your position as a steward, then you begin to live abundantly. You begin to understand, you begin to have peace. Jesus talked a lot about money. 16 of the 38 parables in the gospel deal with money or possessions. One out of every 10 verses in the gospels, 288 of them to be exact, deal with money. In the Bible, there are 500 verses about prayer. There are just under 500 verses on faith. But through the Bible, there are 2,000 verses. 2,000, that's three zeros about money and possessions. So it must be a problem. My question today is, who are you serving? You serving God Are you serving gold? Now, most people would say, well, I'm serving God. But Paul instructs young Timothy, who's probably in his 30s or 40s, about several things. He said, he mentions some warnings here. And so I want us to look at it. I don't expect a lot of amens today, so I'm already... I'm already prepared for your silence, but this is truth, truth that we need to hear. First of all, Paul mentions a spiritual and continuous or steadfast aspiration. Now, what I want you to see is this is a spiritual goal. It's a steadfast goal. It's something that should be the rest of our life, and I want you to notice the winning formula in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's first look at godliness. It's who I am. It's who you are. Godliness is being unsatisfied with who we are without Christ. Coming to Christ, being saved, and becoming conformed to the image of his son. It means that we begin to live a life that represents God in our life. It represents Jesus Christ. It represents the transformation that he's given us in our life. We don't stay the same. He begins to change us. He begins to grow us. Godliness gives a man a sense of adequacy, and a woman, a sense of adequacy that produces contentment. Now, there are some formulas that don't add up. And a lot of people are trying these formulas, such as godliness plus prosperity, equals great gain you know it's amazing what people will do to make money it's amazing how desperate people are did you know at one time in tarzana california there was an education class taught by brenda blackman it was called how to marry money a seminar for men and women And at that time, no students had actually married somebody for money or been able to do it yet. But there were dozens and dozens of people paying that $40 fee to take that three-hour class in order to how to marry somebody who's rich. She said, the rich are happy and confident. They look for people and and said, we teach people how to look for people who are the same. And then there's the other extreme, godliness plus poverty, equals great gain now there's not many takers on this one when you take a vow of poverty to give up everything all stuff is evil I'm going to give it all up and just focus on God well listen that doesn't make you any more spiritual you just giving up all your stuff now following the Lord you want to follow him but just giving up all your stuff that didn't that didn't make you more spiritual and then there's a formula godliness plus power or influence. The more influential I am or powerful I am, the more positions I have. And even some people say godliness plus family. If I've got the perfect family, it'll be great gain. And so, but folks, the winning formula here is just godliness plus contentment. So let's look at contentment for a second it's what I have. Contentment is used as a noun here. It's the only place other than 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 which, by the way, is right in the middle of a passage on giving. But listen to what Second Corinthians 9, 8 says. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, have an abundance for every good work. The idea is that of a condition in life in which if I don't get anything else except the needs that I have to live, I'll be Okay. Contentment says, I don't have to have a lot of stuff. Godliness gives the person the adequacy to produce contentment, and we're not trusting in the abundance of things and the stuff that I own to make me content because you would think that rich people would be the most contented people on earth, but a lot of people who have multi-millions of dollars seem to still be empty. They take drugs, and they're alcoholics. Not all of them, some of them. I'm using generalities Folks, Paul is not condemning, now listen to me, he's not condemning the desire to gain. In fact, the good news is my life can be better. Aren't you glad your life can be better? But often it's the desire for gain that eclipses us walking with the Lord. Because that becomes their goal in life. I am so caught up in in the gain that that's all I think about. That's what he's talking about. You having some more things and nicer things, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it does not dictate your life. Because some people grab so many things that they spend the rest of the all they can do is focus on paying for it, and all they can do is focus on working, working for it. I know I like what John MacArthur's commentary. He mentions five truths that help maintain a contented heart. First, recognize that the Lord owns everything. Have you ever heard that before? (laughs) About every Sunday. About every Sunday, when I step up here about the time we normally would receive an offering or used to, I would say, you gotta remember you don't own anything. The second thing, you maintain a thankful heart. Be grateful for what you have. Are you really thankful for what you have? The third thing, learn to distinguish between wants and needs. You remember when you were a kid You're walking down the toy aisle, you try to convince your parents you needed that. It was just a want. The fourth thing, spend less than you make. Now, there's a novel idea. Spend less than you make, and then you can invest in eternal purposes. And the fifth thing, worship the Lord with integrity. Make sacrificial giving a way of life. Be a generous person with everything you have, your time, your talents, your abilities. Be a generous person in general, is what he's saying. But then Paul mentions a sobering and a straightforward realization. I mean, it's in your face. He says, For, verse 7, we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we'll carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with all these we shall be content. You hear a lot of things today about Equality. Well, there's a verse that's equal right there. You didn't bring anything in this world, you're not taking anything out. Solomon was an old man, wealthy old man. Had a lot of regrets for all the stupid decisions he made when he was younger. And when he's writing in Ecclesiastes, he said, There's a there's a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return as he came from his mother's womb. To go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. You ever seen a baby born? I had the privilege of seeing all three of my children come from their mother's womb into the world. They didn't bring anything with them. They were not prepared. (laughs) They did not think ahead. They didn't have any clothes. They didn't have any food. They didn't have any money. They just came in here and made us take care of them. You don't bring anything into this world. You're not going to take anything out. So all this stuff in in the middle, it's on loan to us. Hebrews 4.13 says that we will be naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All you have right now is a travel allowance. You're traveling through this world. This world is not your home. You're only passing through, and everything you have is a travel allowance. The key to contentment is to realize that life is a gift. It's not a right. Now I believe in the right to life, don't misunderstand me. But every day's a gift from God. There was a large church was having some financial difficulties. So the senior pastor gave one of those sermons on stewardship and giving. And of course it offended one of the wealthy members who then invited him out to his house, showed him his beautiful home, his Beautifully landscaped yard his a marvelous pool area and he he asked the pastor he said do you mean to tell me after you said last Sunday that I don't own any of this that none of this is mine and the pastor said why don't you ask me that question in a hundred years sobering question isn't it you don't own anything A steward is a person who manages another's resources and each of us is a manager. We're a steward. It's been loaned to us. The opportunities have been given to us. And so, all the promises of God depend on that being the center principle of our life. I don't own any of this. So I want God to provide and a Christian who refuses to do this can never experience God's plan for their finances. If you don't allow God to have control of this area, you, you, it's actually a training ground. A lot of times, money is a training ground. If, in fact, Jesus said, if, if, if you can't be trusted with this stuff, then I can't trust you with greater things. I want you to remember something. All money is tainted. Taint yours, it taint mine. It's God's. <laughs> he said with food and clothing, the word clothing implies shelter. Food and shelter is really all you need to live. Matthew 6, 25, Jesus said, your life is not consistent of the things you have. Sometimes we ask the about somebody who died, how much did they leave? I can answer that every time. All of it. They left all of it. But then Paul gives a very subtle and and talks about a seductive temptation. Look in verse nine. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Did you notice it doesn't say money is evil? Don't ever say money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Those who desire, let's notice this progression or notice these three dangers. First of all, the desire. Those who desire, and the word speaks of authority. In other words, it's like, I have decided, I have told myself, I'm going to be rich. That's what my life is going to be. It's not the fact that you desire to do better and to have better things. No, I've decided I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make a lot of money. Ecclesiastes 5.10, here we go back to old Solomon. Solomon. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. And it becomes such a strong desire that that is all they focus on. I've got to do this. I've got to gain this. And I've got to do this. Then you'll notice the word deception or snare in verse nine. They are enticed by the bait When you're fishing, you're deceiving the fish. You're making the fish think this is something that they can eat. And so they bite it, but it's got a hook in it. Well, here, the desire to be rich has a lot of hooks in it. It's got a lot of danger in it. And isn't it interesting that no matter how often it is shown that money doesn't bring happiness, we're always willing to give it another chance. I stood behind a man in line yesterday, getting a bag of ice, who turned in a lottery ticket. Lady peeled off $100 and gave to him. He didn't even say thank you. He just turned and walked out. And I wondered in my heart, how much money did he really spend to get that $100? The lottery is all about greed. It is. You want something for nothing. Well, it's not going to be nothing. You're going to pay a little bit, but you want a, you want a lot for nothing. Deception. And then destruction. Look at the words in verse 9 and 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which plunge men in destruction and perdition. Plunge. That word is used in Luke chapter 5, verse 7, where it says, The disciples brought so many fish into the ship that it began to plunge, it began to sink. It says the desire for this sinks people. And what is the ocean? Destruction and perdition. Perdition includes not only now, but in eternal life. And and then in verse 10, it says some have even strayed from the faith. That doesn't mean deliberate apostasy. It means that they get so caught up in trying to earn money that they don't ever walk with the Lord. We have a 14-year-old dog at our house. His name is Scout. It's a Schnauzer. Good dog. It's a good dog. But it's time for him to go to glory. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm really not. We have to do a lot for him. It's like taking care of a homebound person. We give him medicine. Never mind, all that stuff. He's a money pit. That's what he is, he's a money pit. And Laura's gonna kill me when I get home. i want to tell you something about that dog. He's been with us 14 years, we've had him since a pup, and he really has been a great dog. I really do like him, I'm just kidding you. But you know what? That rascal is not content to stay in the yard. We feed him, we keep him alive, take him to the vet, He's got a place to sleep. But if he gets outside and we're not looking, he's leaving. It's usually at night. And he's solid black. You ought to try to find a solid black deaf dog in the dark. (laughs) It is a challenge. And I sometimes said, let him go. Just let him go. But instead of being content, no, no, no. He'd rather go sniff out the other yards, and you know what those dogs do. It's not that he doesn't like us, and he knows where he lives. But see, he strays away. He, He would if we let him. A lot of people have done that with their life. They didn't get up one morning and said, I'm going to walk away from the Lord or his work or be faithful. They'd just gotten so caught up in all the other stuff that they're no longer focused on the Lord. They've strayed from the faith. And then, and then here's a morbid picture. It says they pierce themselves through. Can you picture somebody stabbing themselves? he said they pierced themselves through with many sorrows no matter what it looks like on the outside loving money does damage on the inside it does soul damage small town newspaper was describing a robbery and a murder that took place in their little town one man who was leaving his business at the end of the day got ambushed and they killed him and the reporter wrote these words. But fortunately for the deceased, he had just deposited his day's receipts in the bank with the result that he lost nothing but his life. (laughs) Now I want you to notice one other thing while I'm on this subject. It says the love of money is a root Y'all have any weeds after all this rain? Man, I got weeds growing places I didn't know they could grow. If you can't get rid of a weed if you don't get the root. You can plant anything in your yard that you want, but you can't choose the fruit after you've planted it. You plant something, that fruit's going to come from that root. Well, it says the money is a root of all kinds of evil. You're free to choose the root, but not the fruit. Now, I want to use the 10 commandments to give you an example of this. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Second commandment, "You you shall not make for yourself an idol. Colossians 3, 5 says, greed, which amounts to idolatry. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. How many people have cursed when they lose a lot of money? The fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath day holy. How many are so busy pursuing a career and riches that they don't ever set aside a day to worship God? They just work, work, work. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to worship. I got too much to do. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. It's not uncommon for the love of money to set children against their parents. And in some cases, they've even killed or tried to kill them for their money. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. How often murder is because of money or greed. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. How often a woman might go after another woman's husband or vice versa, Because she wants their money. The eighth commandment you shall not steal. There would be no robberies, there would be no theft, there would be no fraud if people did not love money. The ninth commandment you shall not bear false witness. How many lie in order to make money? You get the point? So the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, is indeed a root sin because it leads to the other sins. Mm -hmm. Got to pull that root. The root of the love of money. Notice this progression. Temptation, which means that they haven't always been there. But temptation, snare, plunge, ruin, destruction sorrow strayed you see it's a a very dangerous place to be isn't it now paul points a message to people have you i've had people come up to me and say preacher were you preaching to me today and I always say, yeah, your wife or your husband sent this in to me. And I said, and I pointed it directly at you. No, I've never preached to anybody. I've wanted to at times. But I've never done that to my knowledge. <laughs> That's what that sounds like to some of you, doesn't it? But Paul says, if you are rich, Paul Paul tells Timothy, go preach to the rich. Point it at them. Now, if somebody came up to you and said, are you rich? Most of you in here are going to say, no, not really. But you're comparing yourself to somebody that's got millions and billions of dollars. But we don't ever compare ourselves to somebody in Haiti or Bangladesh or someplace like that. So we need to qualify. If this sermon's for the rich, who are the rich? The story's told that back in the times of hard times in the early 1900s, a little boy and girl were knocking on the doors, collecting anything that people would give them that they might sell and make a little money. They came to a widow's home. It was cold and rainy and blustery and... The lady had compassion on them and invited them in while she looked for some things to put in a sack to give them. They walked in and there was a warm fire and they, you could hear their shoes squish as they walked across the carpet and stood in front of the fire warming their hands. In a moment, the lady brought out some hot chocolate and some cookies and gave them and they ate because they were hungry. She gave them a few things in a bag and as they were about to leave, the little girl turned to the woman and said you must be rich and the woman said no not at all why would you say that and the little girl said your, your cups and your saucers match and after they finished their cookies and left they disappeared down the street the old woman thought to herself my cups and saucers match I never realized how rich I was Now, I'm going to remind you, I've told you this before. You've heard it from me before. You have enough food to eat three times. That includes peanut butter and crackers. You have any form of transportation, including a bicycle. You have enough clothing to protect you from the elements, wintertime and so forth, rain, snow. You have a job that pays you. You get paid for what you do. And you have a place to sleep inside at night, a shelter. You are in the top 1% of the world. So now that we've qualified who's rich, let's see what Paul says. So don't turn off and say, well, I'm not rich. This doesn't talk to me. Yeah, every one of us in here are, right? Right. Right. He says, first of all, in verse 17, examine your heart. Examine your heart. Did you know that money's a training ground for God to develop our trustworthiness? I've already mentioned Luke 16, 11, If therefore you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust true riches to you? Why do we have such trouble trusting God here when in every piece of money we've got says, in God we trust? but we don't trust him. Psalm 62, 10 says, if riches increase, do not set your heart up on them. Money has a peculiar way to make us feel insulated from the problems of life. I'm invincible. If I've got a lot of money, I'm invincible. I had a man tell me in my first church of Strong, Arkansas. He said, preacher, a poor man is a weak man. I said, no, a man without Christ is a weak man. The second thing, establish your actions. In the larger context, it means that generosity depends on good theology. We will be generous precisely to the extent that we have a proper view of God and his involvement in our daily life. You're not going to be any more generous than your walk with God. You're not. We can give it away knowing that we have everything we need when we really trust in God. A proper view of God leads to a generous life. Notice what he says. Let them do good. That's sort of a general statement. Be be the generous person. The giving of money is one of the outward and visible signs of the right spirit moving in the heart of a person. But that's not the only thing. You're You're doing good things. And then he gets a little more specific. He says, be rich in good deeds in verse 18. Be rich in good works. It's more specific. And then he says, ready to give, willing to share. Generous spirit that gladly comes from walking with the Lord. Do y'all know any stingy people? I mean, they're tight. They're as tight as a bark on a tree. They squeeze a penny, and Abraham Lincoln hollers. They won't buy nothing. They won't give to anything. They're stingy, tight. That is not a person. I, I heard about a guy, was so tight. He had a mouse in his house he's trying to catch. He put the picture of cheese on the, the uh, trap. <laughs> Next day he came back and there was a picture of a mouse in the trap. <laughs> you know anybody like that? I know some people like that. That is, that is a heart that something's wrong something's wrong there's a trust issue somewhere but we establish our actions to be generous people God you've done so much for me I'm going to be generous but then notice this he says that you will enrich your reward some of you are still young and you're working and you're putting away for retirement Now that money you put away for retirement is not benefiting you right now. You know that. You're putting it away. But later on, when you retire, you're hoping that it'll be enough for you to live on and you will benefit from it then. Well, Paul is saying here, when you are a generous person and you trust the Lord and you're willing to honor him with what you have, then you're investing in eternity. And one of these days, your reward, your inheritance gonna be in heaven. I don't know exactly what all of that means but I do know this that we're sending it on to be generous means that we're going to enhance our life in heaven or the rewards there. To lay up treasure means to live in such a way that I know that this world is not my home, that I'm going home one day and that's where I want my treasure to be where a thief can't steal it and moth can't eat it and rust can't corrode it. But I also want you to notice something else because some people would read this and I'm reading out of a New King James Version that they may lay hold on eternal life. It sounds like if I just invest in the kingdom of God, I will get eternal life. That is not what that means. You already have eternal life. Did you know that? Every person on earth has eternal life. You're never going to cease to exist. You're going to either spend eternity with God in heaven, or you're going to hell and spend eternity. You have eternal life already. To lay hold of eternal life means I want to grab hold of the abundant life and the generous life and the peaceful life that I have right now on this earth. I want to live the abundant life now. It doesn't mean you're going to have all the money in the world. It says I'm laying hold of what God has given me. I want to honor him with what I have, with my children, with my time, with my talents, with my money, with everything I have and I know that it's going to Lay up treasure in heaven. I'm not doing that out of selfishness. I'm not trying to see how big a bank account I can have in heaven. I'm not going to need any money in heaven. But I do know this, that every investment I've ever made in the kingdom of God is eternal. Ever since I've been a teenager, 18 years old, as a youth pastor. Can you imagine? I was a youth pastor at 18. I was barely older than the seniors, high schoolers. Every church I've ever been in had some kind of building program going on. It's been forever we build for me. (laughs) Forever we build. But I look back and some of those buildings I invested in I never got to use. But I don't regret it because people are in them who are coming to Christ, who have been growing in Christ... And I'm not saying that to feather my cap. I'm just saying that the investments you make in the kingdom of God are eternal. Can you imagine? Listen, imagine with me, and I'm just about finished. Imagine with me if, if God would let you look back down after you die and see what happens to all your stuff. Really. Now, first, there'd be people who'd be grieving over your passing. I hope there's somebody who's going to be grieving over your passing, and, and, and that's, that's normal. And, and then you're going to see um, the, the time they're going to settle your estate. And hopefully there's not going to be any fighting because you've planned that out and decided who's going to get what. But then as time goes by, you get to see what happens to all your treasure. <laughs> they gave your car to one of the grandkids. They ran the miles up on it, traded in. Now it's at the junkyard. They're taking parts off of it. Your books were donated to the public library. Most of them have never even been checked out. All the family pictures are put in a box. Most of them have faded. Your clothes were donated to Goodwill and you've been worn out. Your fishing gear, your favorite rod and reel, your tackle box, your waders and the old hat with all the hand-tied lures stuck in it still in the corner of the garage. It sort of serves as a short shrine, sort of a shrine for the kids to pay homage to you when they come home for the holiday. Your son-in-law got your boat and motor. Your knickknacks, and all those souvenirs you collected from travels, they were sold in the garage sale for 25 cents apiece. <laughs> I don't know what it's gonna look like, but you can imagine, folks. You can imagine. Only God, only your life with God is eternal. The happiest people on earth are those who've learned the joy of generous giving. I'm going to ask you a question. If I ask you this question, what's in your wallet? (laughs) What are you thinking of? A commercial, credit card. But here's the real question. What's in your heart? That's the real question. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those today without Jesus They've tried to fill that void, that spiritual void in their life with everything else but coming to Jesus. I pray they'd come to Christ today. Because, Lord, we know, most of us in this room know, that only you can fill that spiritual void in our life and give us real life. I pray those would turn from their sin and come to you in repentance and faith. I pray for Christians. Lord, it's so, easy, it's so easy to get sidetracked on this earth. We have so many voices pulling us in so many ways. It's so easy to get sidetracked. Well, I pray, God, you'd help us keep us on track, keep us focused on you, to be godly people, thankful, grateful people for what you've given us. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you're wanting them to come, then God, you bring them today. And Lord, I pray for those that need to be baptized, who have accepted you as their Savior, and yet they've not made the first act of obedience, which is to profess you publicly before people. So, Lord, during this time, would you bring people to you? While your heads are bowed, it's God's invitation. There are pastors here at the front to pray with you, whatever the decision is, whatever's on your heart. It may be just someone needs to pray with you. I'm gonna ask that you quietly stand and keep your heads bowed. Give me a couple of minutes here, we're done. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed so that people won't feel like they're being stared at as they come. And as the Holy Spirit leads you to come, you step forward and you come on right now. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.